Hey, Cross of Life. Thank you for joining us for another po- podcast episode. Uh, Vicar Ben Kieda from Hope Lutheran in Toronto was uh, the one who shared God's word with us this past Sunday. So here's the sermon on Genesis 1 from Vicar Kieda. God's word that we'll be looking at for our sermon text today is taken from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's several selected verses. We read, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come upon us with all of the blessings of Pentecost. We ask us that you would fill us with with your gifts, that you'd fill us with the love to spread your word and to share your love with this entire world. Be with us and be present with us. Help us to grow in your word today. Amen. I want to read just a a couple verses from what I just read to you one more time. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, all the creatures of the earth, everything that moves along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. My brothers, my sisters, I think that those of us who live in Canada can understand this passage better than a lot of other people in the world. At least that has been my experience since coming to Canada several months ago, is that I've been able to understand these passages a little better because in Canada, we have an ancient tradition that is kept alive that helps us to understand images. I'm talking, of course, about loonies. If I turn to the backside of the loony, I might ask you whose name and whose inscription is on the loony? Queen Elizabeth, of course, right? And if you've been following the news closely, you might know that a couple weeks ago, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau announced that very soon we will be getting coins with the image of our new king on them. To me, as an American, this is very interesting because down where I come from, south of the border, the only people that we put on our coins are dead. But... Canada does this. Countries that still recognize kings do this as an ancient tradition that goes back almost as long as coins have even existed. As long as there have been coins that people have used, kings have been putting their image on those coins. And in fact, that actually preserves a tradition that goes back even before there were coins, all the way back to the days that Moses wrote the words of Genesis 1. In Moses' day, kings would take their images, their likeness, and put them all around the territory that they controlled, often as statues, maybe as carvings. 
and they would put their images around their territory to symbolize to everybody that they were the ones who ruled it, that they were king here. And in fact, this tradition still exists in many countries today. If you were to go to China, especially in some of the more traditional homes in China, you might find in them a portrait of the current president, Xi Jinping. The reason kings would do this, the reason leaders still do this, is because in those times, long before we could go on broadcast, politicians could go and get their message out that way, long before they could take to putting their message out on YouTube, they had a way of controlling their image. All of that was done through pictures, through images. And it wasn't just kings that did this. There were two people, two kinds of beings that did this. They're kings and they're gods. That's why people in those days worshipped idols. It wasn't that they thought that this block of wood actually was their god, but they believed that this block of wood symbolized their god. They believed that it would show them the important things that they were supposed to understand about this god, and that by serving this block of wood, they were really serving the real god. That is how Moses is talking when he writes the words of Genesis chapter 1. He wants us to understand what our God's image is. It's really interesting, as scholars have looked at the way that the, the book of Genesis is put together, and especially Genesis chapter 1, they say that it seems that what, what Moses was going for, what God was inspiring Moses to tell people, was that the world is God's temple. In fact, the, the, the Different days that we see on Genesis 1 are very similar to some of the things that we see as people would go about dedicating temples in their Old Testament times. When God created the world, he wanted us to understand that this is the place where God is supposed to be worshipped, that this is the place where he rules, where his being is to be found. And after he did all of it, after he gave the light, after he separated the sky from the surface and the land from the water and made the vegetation and the animals and all that appear, there was one final thing. One final thing you do when you build a temple. The last thing you do is you put the image in it. But God is very clear. He does not want any kind of man-made image. And maybe you know the commandment that's included, thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image, right? Now, many people have thought throughout the years that that was talking about making idols of other gods, but actually, it was almost certainly talking about making an image of the true God. God was trying to let his people know that the only image he wanted was the one that he made with his very own hands, human beings, because an image shows two things. It shows the glory of the one who made it. And it communicates all of the important attributes of the person who made it, right? In the creation of human beings, God was showing his glory and he was showing his wisdom, his power, his strength. God wanted it to be so that when people would look at each other, they would see important things about God on this world. God made humans in his image. Humanity is made in God's image. So I was thinking about that idea, that beautiful idea, as I was writing this sermon. And then I got on the bus to go home. 
Right, and you could probably imagine the scene, right? So over in Scarborough on the TTC at rush hour, you could see an awful lot of humanity packed into that little metal box, right? And it got me thinking about it. You know, there are times in this world where it's relatively easy to imagine that a person is made in God's image, right? I, 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 would, I would guess that when Pastor and his wife have their baby, in a couple of weeks, that when they hold that newborn in their arms, they will say, it, it's easy to see that this is made in God's image. But there are a lot of times when it is not easy to see that. There are a lot of times when God's image is not very clear. I can't tell you how many times I have been reading a news article, and it has made me say, I just don't like people very much. Sometimes there are things that human beings do that just make us shake our heads and ask how it's even possible that human beings would do stuff like that. But even when it's not that extreme, right, I think all it takes sometimes is an afternoon commute home to disillusion you about everything that's so great about people. And it makes us wonder, how is it that people are the image of God? Do you know the Bible actually has a section that, that asks that same question? It was written by a man named David, Psalm 8. He says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What are humans that you are mindful of them, the sons of mankind that you care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them ruler over the works of your hands. Did you catch what he's saying? What David is saying is that when I walk out into nature, I look up at the sky, and I say, yes, I can see God's glory here. I can see how God made the heavens. I look at the moon, I look at the stars, and I say, yes, that's definitely something God would make. But people? Those are the things you set over everything you made? People, really? That's David's reaction. And you know what's interesting is it wasn't just David who was asking this question. Many of the unbelieving people at David's time were asking the same question. Do you know where they looked to find their gods? The sky, right? The moon, the stars, even animals. They'd worship snakes and cows, but what did they think about people? They kind of thought people were the worst. They kind of thought, well, the gods must have just had too much work to do, and they, they just didn't want to do it anymore, so they decided that they were going to make some people to be their slaves so that they could, could take care of all the tasks that need getting done. That was what unbelievers believed at this time. And, you know, I think behind that veil of unbelief and that veil of ignorance, we can see something that's true, something that David certainly understood. There is a contradiction between what God has made us to be and what we really are. God has made us to be this image of his glory. God has made it so that when people look at us, they are supposed to see important things about God. But the picture we paint is not like that so many times. It's a bit like if you imagine going into a beautiful art gallery and seeing a painting that shows you all sorts of beautiful faint things that just draws you in, and then you splash a can of dark paint over it. 
That's the effect that sin has on the image that God has created us to be. Sin has created this contradiction between what God made us to be and what we really are. And nobody understands that better than Christians. Because God has made us to be his image in a very special way. If you read what God says about what God's purpose in making Christians, he says, I made you to declare my praises, right? Show his glory. He says that I have sent you to be my witnesses, to point to him. Christians have been given this special calling to be God's image in this world. So how's that going for you? A few months ago, I made a promise to my wife that I would love her as Christ loved the church. That I would paint a picture with my life of Jesus' self-sacrificing love. That was the promise I made. Husbands, how are you doing? Do your lives paint that kind of picture? Wives, do your lives paint the picture of Christ's selflessness, of his compassion, of his humility? Parents, when your children look at you, do they see what it means to have a heavenly father who cares for them, who knows what they need, and who promises to always fulfill that? Single people, if people saw your lives, would they paint the picture of Christ's purity, of his patience, of his goodness? The truth is, there is a huge contradiction between the thing that God has called us to be and the thing that we really are so many times. And if you understand that contradiction, you understand why Pentecost is such a big deal. Here's what I mean. The perfect image of God was already in the world. He came at Christmas. Right? God himself came down to our level to show God to us, to reveal him to us. Jesus showed God perfectly. Right? When people saw what Jesus did in his life, they praised God. When people saw Jesus' life, when they heard his words, they were appointed to God. They saw the things about God that he wanted to show to them. And nowhere did they see that more than on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was the image of all of God's love and grace for us. You could not miss it. It was there, beautiful and clear. Jesus was the perfect image of God. But then he left. And maybe we're used to that idea. Maybe that doesn't strike us as surprising. But I think if we take a hard look at it, it might be a little strange. If God's point was to have his image in the world to show to us, if God's point was to have his glory here, who could have done that better than Jesus? If God's point was to have someone here who could lead people to him, who could show them the Father, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Who could be a better image of God than Jesus? And yet, he left. Why? Well, Jesus' answer is cryptic, but it's clear. 
In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate he is talking about is the Holy Spirit. And the time when he sends him to us, the time that he's talking about is... Pentecost. It's an amazing thought. Jesus left to clear the way for Pentecost. And it teaches us something. God's plan all along was not that Jesus would be here in the flesh, visible as the image of God. His plan all along was to restore us in the image of God. His plan all along was to chip that layer of paint off of the painting so that people could find God through us again. That was his point all along. And that tells you something amazing about God's love and God's grace and the forgiveness Jesus won. It tells you that God is not ashamed to be known through you. God is not ashamed to have you as his image. No matter how great of a contradiction there is between the life that you actually live and the life God has called you to live, God is not ashamed to be known as your God. In fact, he rejoices in it. The joy that God felt when he created Adam, where he builds this man out of the dust and he says, this is good. That's the joy he has when he created a new person inside of you. When he built that by his spirit and he said, this is good. That is God's joy. Colossians 3 verse 10 tells us, you are being made new in the image and knowledge of your creator. And I think the amazing thing is, Somehow, that broken image actually works. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today who will ask, you know, how can you believe in Christianity when you look at all of the things that the church has done through the years? Think about how many times the church has done things that have been sinful, that have been terrible. And do you know what you can respond to that? You can say, you're right. The point all along, God's grace all along, was that somehow, some way, he would work through broken people. Somehow, some way, he would overcome the brokenness and the sin inside of us and still make it so that people were pointed to God. How is it that in a church institution that has so often been so flawed, that is so full of sinners, somehow billions of people have still come to know their Savior? That is the grace of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of a God who is working in you to make you into his image here on earth and here below. And God's calling to us today is to rejoice in that image the same way he does. To love the image of God that he has made us to be. To live in the image of God that he has made us to be and not to be an image of something else. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were up in Ottawa and we went to the Royal Canadian Mint. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. 
you know how quickly the images are stamped into the coins at the Royal Canadian Mint? It's like a tenth of a second. It's very fast, right? I think we can say as Christians, that's true for us, right? The moment we came to faith, God's image was printed on us. But it's also true that as Christians, it's a lifelong process to be restored in the image of God. And sometimes the contradiction between what we are and what God is remaking us to be, sometimes those contradictions are very clear to us. But the Holy Spirit is still there. And the Holy Spirit is still at work, and that is why you are here. You are here as part of the continual, ongoing thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. To remake you into God's image. To make you the kind of thing that shows God's glory. That points people to Jesus. That is a beautiful thing. It is an amazing thing. And I pray that you are strengthened in that. I pray that what you find here is the Holy Spirit and his grace. Amen.